Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I had figured it out. Wow. It was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true stories of how science has affected people's lives. A quick reminder, we have events coming up in Boston on December 4th and New York on December 17th. See storycollider.org for more. This week's storyteller is Aaron Frude. The story was recorded in November 2012 at the Camden Head in London as part of the Spot On Science Conference. The theme of the event was Connections. So, um, like many people in this room, I did a science degree, and pretty soon I worked out that I didn't really want to be a scientist, or rather that I would just be a hopeless scientist. Um, I remember the exact day I studied biology and then entomology. I was supposed to be counting insects, little small insects called aphids, on branches, and it was really hot, the sweat was dripping into my eyes. And I was just kind of looking at the branches and going, 36, <laughs> bigger branch, and then I'd be like, 124. <laughs> so instead of becoming a scientist, I worked my way into science writing and science journalism. And uh, my, my kind of breakthrough story was writing a story about the effects of cannabis on driving, uh, in which I enrolled in the actual study. Um, <laughs> I found myself driving a multi-million pound driving simulator whilst very, very stoned. Uh, that was fun, and I got paid to do it as well. Um, that gave me the idea that maybe writing about crazy drugs would be more productive and healthier than just taking them. <laughs> so, fortunately, <clears throat> Fortunately, around this time, there was a, a clutch of new studies coming up. There was like a, a renaissance in research using psychedelic drugs, drugs like MDMA, which is ecstasy, LSD, and psilocybin, which is the, uh, the, the, the uh, active ingredient in magic mushrooms. So there were studies, you know, looking at post-traumatic stress disorder and, and, and psychotherapy. Will MDMA help um, LSD and certain types of headaches? You know, it sounds crazy, but LSD has a similar structure to some migraine drugs. So I carved out myself a little niche, you know, writing about these, like, psychedelic studies. They're all these small-scale things. And, I'm, you know, I'm trying to do it in a balanced and objective and non-sensationalist way, uh, which kind of works. You know, I got various stories published in, you know, Nature, New Scientist, a few of the papers and stuff. Somewhere in the system, 
some of the scientists, some of these researchers must have realized that I was doing a string of these articles because suddenly I got sent a letter, like a real letter, you know, on, on, on paper and everything, you know, to the place where I worked at the time, which was the, the Science Photo Library. And it was from one of these researchers who was doing, you know, some of these studies. So we entered into a correspondence, you know, just, just, by, just by mail at his insistence. And after about three weeks, I was absolutely shocked, excited, and everything to find that he was inviting me to go to another country to take part in a group psychotherapy session involving psychedelic drugs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I, I weighed things up, being younger then, adventurous, wanting to get into like undercover, you know, investigative journalism. I weighed everything up and I thought, whoa, free drugs, yeah. <laughs> Cool, sign me up. So I jumped on a plane, I jumped on a plane and I found myself in another country in Europe signing up to this kind of semi-scientific study. There were questionnaires, there was data, there was that kind of thing. And you know, between the two of us, we kind of cooked up a little story. I was gonna be undercover. There were lots of other people around, like proper patients that had been referred to this like secret group. Um, and so I was going to be a friend of the contact, a guy who was like interested in transpersonal psychology, whatever that is. Um, and nobody seemed to take much, too much notice of the fact that there was a lone English guy around. Everyone spoke a, bit, a little bit of English. That was absolutely fine. So when I get there on the Friday night, it's not all about drugs. There's all these kind of group, group sort of exercises to get everyone together. The most, the most memorable of which um, kind of goes like this, and, and feel free to laugh because I know I wanted to. It was a kind of, a, it was like a dance designed to let off your negative emotions. Okay. Uh, that, that's what we did. If you think that look, looks really, really stupid, imagine what it's like in a room with 15 people doing it. Yeah, three of which are psychotherapists, 12 of which are treatment-resistant people who go, <laughs> who, who go, who go to see psychotherapists. Um, thankfully, things got <clears throat> you know, more serious after that, and we had to sit down in pairs. And we had to actually talk to the other person with no interruptions, without stopping for five minutes, yeah, about your deepest, darkest fears, about your personal problems, about the things that you intend to confront during this journey. It's really, really, really hard. Um, give it a go one day. Sit down with a great friend, a partner, a lover, and you know, when the time is right, just talk you know, for five minutes. Yeah, just five minutes. Give it a go. It's hard. Uh, if that wasn't hard enough, after that, we had to do this to the group. So I had to then explain to the group of complete strangers who I'd only met that evening what my theme was, my journey for the, for the, drug, for the drug session that was going to take place the next day. And the theme of my journey was going to be my relationship with my father. Now, uh, don't worry, I'm not going to go into excruciating details about relati my relationship with my father. In fact, he was quite good. You know, it's not a horrible sob story, you know. We did fishing together, father-son stuff, you know. We went to football matches. Yes, he hugged me. Yes, he told me he loves me. You know, it's all okay. But, on the other hand, he was an alcoholic. 
uh, and this really blighted his life. He was like a, a high-flying policeman. He was in the uh, the original Sweeney Todd. If you've ever seen the original series or, or the, the film that came out, he was in the original CID. So basically, he was an overweight detective with a handlebar moustache um, who used to keep a bottle of scotch in the top drawer. That's the kind of guy he was. So that was my theme for my journey. So the next day, we wake up at dawn, uh, well, eight o'clock, that's dawn for me, um, <laughs> and we do a resuscitative breathing exercise, which puts you in a really, really relaxed state. And then, you know, at like 10 a.m., we divide into two groups. So there are, there are about 15 of us patients, and, and um, half the group are gonna take LSD, half of the group are gonna take MDMA. I was in the MDMA group. So we take the stuff at 10 a.m. on an empty stomach because only fruit tea is allowed, no caffeine, no food. And what you do then is um, we're in a room, you know, it's probably about as big as, as this bit here. Apologies to the people sitting over there. <laughs> You'll see what it's like later. Um, and then everyone like lies down in sleeping bags, um, you know, like on a yoga mat. And what you do is you, you just lie down on a yoga mat in your sleeping bag and, and there's, there's headphone points in the wall, you put the headphones on and you start listening to this music, which immediately presented me with a problem because I was on great quality drugs, yeah, I mean, this is like a semi-scientific stuff, yeah, this stuff was really good, but I was listening to really, really bad music, yeah, I mean, these people were Europeans, so it was all like hippie, dippy, like trance stuff, like ambient world music from a world I've never been to. <laughs> It's just, it was really, really, really bad. Honestly, they think, uh, they probably planned it that way because it was more fun to think about my alcoholic father. <laughs> so that's what I did. I started thinking about him. And the, th the format for the therapy is that, um, is that what you do is you're, you're lying down there and whenever you, you think you go through stuff in your head and you put your hand up and then you, you call one of the psychotherapists so over. There's three of them. And then you have a little one-to-one -one with them. So even though like, it's in a group setting, the actual therapy is one-to-one. Is, is -one. And so you know, I sp started speaking to my contact. And you know, it's just incredibly hard, though, because you know, back then, you know, when I used to take MDMA, you know, ecstasy, it used to make me feel like, I don't know, pretty ecstatic. <laughs> and there I am trying to think about my dad and stuff. It's like my jaw is going like this and my eyes are rolling around like mad marbles in my head. But eventually, eventually I did, you know, I did get it together. I talked to my contact and yeah, I had, I had like a, I had like an, a mini epiphany. And that was that, that, you know, my father, he'd done, he'd done bad things. You know, people had left him one by one, you know, his close family, his, his extended family friends and stuff but I was still there for him you know I was one of the only people he still had and by this time he'd retired from the police force he'd moved to Spain he dried up he was sober you know he made a partial success of that but I was like one of his his umbilical cords yeah back to the UK back to you know his, his former life and so that was my little epiphany and the next day we all did more exercises together talking stuff working everything over and we went back to uh, we went back to our lives. So at this point, uh, got back to the UK, and my life was quite exciting in that all this really, really quite exciting stuff was happening. Uh, I moved into a new house. I met a girl, just like exciting new relationship. I had a new job starting up, so everything was looking really great. 
And then my dad died. Yeah, bummer. So at this point, you know, the, the journey that I did was this like amazing story that one day we agreed that I'd be able to write about it. But of course, uh, suddenly, as soon as he died, it took on this whole new meaning. And those of you who have lost a parent will know that, you know, your head goes through all this like crazy stuff like, oh, did I do enough? What did I have done? When was the last time I told them I love them? You know, all these kinds of things. And, and what I worked out, the fact that I'd worked out then that I'd actually probably been a good son to him and I was still there for him, that was of, you know, that was of some comfort. You know, that, that really helped me out just during that initial phase, just in those first two months, three months. After that, it didn't really sort of work. And, uh, you know, ironically, the, the, the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, Bill Wilson, he actually took an acid trip and he thought that that would be really good for people with alcohol problems. So it's a shame, really, that my dad didn't, you know, give it a go. But uh, <laughs> never got a chance. Uh, but, you know, in no way is this talk trying to condone or support the use of uh, these illegal drugs in therapy because, you know, it's not proven. And, you know, there are now small-scale studies going underway to try and see if it does work. And that's the right thing to do. It's for the, the scientific and the medical community to find out if it works. But all I can say is, for me, it worked a bit for a bit. Thank you. That was Aaron Frood. Aaron has been a freelance science writer and editor for 12 years. He has written for New Scientist, Nature, BBC Online, and many others. For more science stories, take a look at storycollider.org, where we have our magazine, archives of the podcast, and upcoming events. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Wecht, and Aaron Barker. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth. Additional help from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, Josh McCall, and Raffaella Benin. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to the Camden Head for hosting the show, to Lou Woodley and Spot on London for inviting us, to Laura Wheeler for extraordinarily work handling the logistics, and to Jetlag for not being all that bad, really, when it comes right down to it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>